0: hi everyone welcome to how can i heal podcast with krina okumus this is an interview series with people that i admire and really made a change in my life we are exploring questions about life dreams how can i be more happy and healthy and learn how can we deal with pressure or challenges in the private or professional life i really hope you take a nuggets of wisdom or two And you are improving your own life for the better. I am super honored to let you know that on today's episode, I'm speaking with Mark Squire. Mark Squire is co-owner and manager of Good Earth Natural Foods. Good Earth is an independent natural and organic grocer with two stores in Marin County, California. Mark Squire came to California in the late 60s as an idealistic 17-year-old food activist. His conviction that we need to change our agriculture away from pesticide dependence and our diets back to more natural one, led him to a good earth natural food where he was working continuously for the last 51 years. Mark served on the board of the Non-GMO Project for 10 years and is currently on the board of the Organic Trade Association. I really hope this discussion will inspire you as much as it did to me. And I really hope that you can understand more about the evolution of the food system.
1: I remember my kids uh, getting furious at me because I was sending them to school with brown bread instead of white bread and, you know, uh, but you know, actually it was my, I think my son actually had, he had turned into an adult He may have even been an, a parent himself at that point, but he said to me one day, you know, I'm really glad that you made me eat my kale when I was a kid, cause now I love it. And, uh, uh, so it sometimes you have to wait for the, uh, the benefits to come through, I really do believe that one of the, the chief jobs of a parent is to give their kids a really foundational health and uh you know that's a lot about diet and i I don't even i think it it begins pre pre pre-birth you know even you know there's a lot of data that shows that you know the the foods that a woman is eating while she's pregnant and certainly the foods that uh, a baby is eating early on are um really fundamental to in other words it's almost like if you get it right then you can actually do a lot of you know later in life you can do a lot of abuse of yourself and get away with it but if you don't do it right at the beginning you're constantly trying to catch up with your health that is really you know a very important part of being a parent is and sometimes that is you know it it means you do need to say no I'm not gonna feed my kid a lot of sugar. I don't care if it's, you know, other parents think that that's cruel or, or bad or whatever. You know, I um, it's that important.
0: And now let's get to my conversation with the amazing Mark Squire. It's one of my favorite interview and my friends and my family knows why, because I was even trying to convince people from good earth to even move there and live there. So I'm really honored to speak with Mark. Thank you so much, Mark, for um, being part of this um, interview and taking the time for, for me.
1: Okay. It's a pleasure to be here, for sure.
0: So Mark, first question. Probably you are not expecting it. What did you eat for breakfast?
1: Uh, um, I don't eat breakfast. Okay. I, I, I get up, I uh, sit and I have uh, two big green teas, which I hope is you know, not too much, but uh, the, the morning is my time when I think and um, sort of plan my day a bit. But uh, you know, so I spend an hour basically just sitting out, looking out the window thinking and drinking tea. And it usually means that by, uh, by noon, I'm very hungry.
0: And, okay, uh,
1: uh, I, I eat a big, big, lunch.
0: So I have to just make sure that we are not passing the noon uh, with this interview, that I don't uh, start to feel the anxiety, uh, the anxious uh, part. So I move on then to the next question. <laughs> and um, actually, it's, it's quite a serious question. And um, if you allow me, I would like to, um, to read one part from a book that I actually bought it from Good Earth. It's called Grain by Grain. And it's written by Bob Quinn and Liz Carlisle. And um, I will read you one part, which for me was a big wow. The past 50 years of American history can be summed up in three remarkably similar graphs of three ostensibly different things. One shows a steady rise of the percent of the U.S. population with diagnosed diabetes from less than 1% in 1958 to nearly 10% today. Another shows a very similar trend line in the average carbon dioxide concentration at the Mauna Loa Observatory in Hawaii. This is the famous killing curve which first sounded the alarm of climate change. The third graph shows the number of Americans reliant of food stamps, which has risen from just over 10% million in 1972 to more than 45 million today. The correlation in these trends is not accidentally. They are all symptomatic of a system of producing and consuming goods, particularly food, that has gone badly away. Unless we begin to change this system, these statistics will continue to rise with disastrous consequences for our health, our livelihoods, and our planet. I wanted to ask you, what mistakes do you think that we made in the past 50 years, and how can we change this? Well, that's
1: a big question. And uh, maybe first I'll say that Bob Quinn is actually an old friend of mine. And uh, so he and and I spent many hours in different places, sort of discussing food politics. And I absolutely agree with him. Uh, In fact, a lot of times, uh, you know, when we orient new employees here at Good Earth, one of the first things I tell them is that the American food system is absolutely broken. I mean, it's it's the more you the more you know about the food system, the more do you realize that it, it's just it's broken in so many ways. It's ridiculous, and um, you know I have been um, you know a real advocate for organic agriculture because that to me is a very key piece of repairing it. Uh, But it by no means is the only piece, uh, as Bob so eloquently, you know, I don't know if I can ever be as eloquent as Bob is, but um, um, for sure there, you know, the food system, in a way, embodies all of those different issues, you know, there's environmentalism, you know, uh, spraying pesticides on land is absolutely the stupidest thing that we could be doing, poisoning our kids in the process. Um, but it it also has a lot to do with social justice issues in that we have worn out our soils uh, worldwide really and um, we have eliminated the ability of people to farm and to you know live healthy lives Uh, and a lot of that has been about soil depletion and A lot of the reason that there's soil depletion is because of our emphasis on, uh, you know, what we used to call, um, um, the green, well, uh, the green new deal is the solution to it. Actually, I think, but, uh, you know, we used to the, when chemical agriculture came about, there was this, you know, what I think was a big lie. It was a lot of promotion coming from the pesticide industry that. We were going to feed everybody on the planet, and it would be, uh, you know, a great thing. And as a result of that, us like listening to that corporate, uh, those corporate interests, we've actually done the reverse: is that we worn out soils, um, we've eliminated the ability for people to feed themselves, and um, the solutions, you know, again, organic agriculture is a solution for that. It's uh, you know, one of the things that early organic farmers immediately zoned in on was that soil health, um, you know, and again, I, I, I warned you that I had a hard time putting please, myself in no, a box, but, please, please. but to me, it's all interrelated. You know, we're, we're learning about the, the importance of soils and all the microflora that flourish in organic soils chemical agriculture kills all those systems, shuts them all down. But um, there's a real analogy there with human health as well. We're just now st- sort of starting to learn that, um, you know, our attempts to, you know, instead of killing bugs in organic agric- or in our agriculture, we're now talking about killing pathogens in humans. And That's what, what we did is we immediately went to these pathogens are our enemies. How do we kill them at all cost? Antibiotics came along. We created this huge mess because we we didn't look at the natural systems and try and understand what was happening. So we now know that you know killing our microflora has caused, you know, huge amounts of disease on the planet in human populations and simple solutions, but again, it's like, you have to step back and look at that, you know, what I call holism, you know, um, you know, what is common to organic agriculture and holistic healing is really looking at the, the natural systems and saying, well, how do we, how do we interrelate with that? And how do we make use of natural systems, you know, through herbal healing, or, you know, there's so many ways we can augment natural systems um and the opposite way to do it is to you know look at this is this is our enemy let's kill it at any cost and when when you go into that um mentality of killing things and getting rid of them because they're a problem uh you you really miss the the beauty and the um the sophistication of natural systems which you know, I think unless you come to any problem with a wow, this is a, an amazingly complex system. How do we participate in it usefully? Uh, you, you make mistakes. Um, and that's, to me, the story of human civilization is that we we make things the enemy and we think we can get rid of them. We can control nature by, you know, damming rivers or uh, you know, spraying pesticides to get rid of the bug that's prob- problematic at uh, this moment. And I would even say, you know, you could even expand that to the arena of social justice. You know, it's, we, we've created a world where we even villainize uh, our fellow human beings all over the planet. And what do we, you know, what do we do? We, we go out, we literally, you know, we just in the United States passed our military budget. Almost half the dollars that we spend on federal taxes in the United States go to building missiles. Uh, again, kill the enemy, and you know what does that do worldwide? I, you know, I believe that it creates a, a world that is actually not as safe. You know, we've you know made enemies all over the planet, and uh, so it's all connected. And but it, at the root of it is all about you know appreciating natural systems and respecting them um,
0: and i think it's so much uh, missing of information like sometimes even and i'm introducing the gmo topic as well that it's so much so many people thinks that um ah, we need kind of food for everyone but actually cheap stuff isn't really cheap if we really look look for it into a long part which i found it in uh, a, a very well explained into the bob Quinn book about that, you know, um, I mean, it's, I feel it's so much information that it's, um, so wrong placed, um, into the context and people are, uh, getting the, the, ro- the, wrong ones, but I would like to start, yeah. please.
1: Well, l- let me just say about that, that, you know, to me, that's one of the very exciting things about organic agriculture is that, you know, in a way, uh organic agriculture has demonstrated that we can actually produce food just as, just as inexpensively or less, you know, depending on how many of the, how much of the collateral damage, the sickness that pesticides cause you bring into the picture. I think we're, we're making food cheaper for people. And, um, that's an exciting thing, you know, and in a way, if all if the, all the environmental movements could show that they could, actually work financially you know it would change things dramatically so um yeah
0: i love that and i think uh yeah we have to definitely i mean i i was thinking even at the beginning of this interview There are so many topics that I want to discuss with you. Probably we have to split it in different episodes because it's such a big and large. uh, There are so many, so many things that I would like to learn more um, with your help. But um, I would like to start a little bit with um, when you were uh, back in time, when you were 16 or 17 years old and you just decide to move from Connecticut to California, San Francisco. And um, I was really impressed of how you start everything and that you really uh, were a food activist already since then what did you really made you to 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 have this already philosophy on such an early age and um can you share a little bit more about the whole experience because it's really like a movie like a movie story how you were starting uh, um even the story with good earth
1: yeah well i would say that it a lot came from reading, you know, back, back then, books was actually were the only place you could get information really. And, uh, uh, when I was, uh, in Connecticut, I, uh, worked after school at a little natural food store that was, we used to call them pill shops. They were, you know, sold more vitamins than they did food at that point. But, uh, but they had a big bookshelf and I was able to, you know, borrow books for the night and, uh, uh, read them. So I read, you know, a lot of, uh, J.I. Rodale was, uh, in the R- Rodale Institute were already talking about soil health and, and organics and the history thereof. Uh, you know, there was, uh, uh, Sir Albert Howard was an English guy who, um, he had actually gone to India, uh, to ostensibly teach the native peoples how to, Grow food, you know, in a modern way, and he he was a man that had the, um, you know, the um, the sense and the um, humbleness to actually look at what was happening in, in in that part of India, and they were making compost, and and they had a completely sustainable form of agriculture going on. And he, instead of teaching them how to do it, he started learning how to make compost and, and wrote about it. And he was one of the, you know, he's considered one of the, um, you know, early pioneers of organics. Uh, he was a really great man. So there was a lot of knowledge. And then in the, in the realm of, uh, nutrition, I ended up, you know, studying a lot with, um, the community, which at that point was called macrobiotics and uh, macrobiotics was started by a number of japanese um, folks who were really studying holistic medicine and teaching that in the united states diet and health and um, uh you know there are many dietary systems out there you know and to me at the core of all of them that really work is this concept of holistic you know we eat whole foods we you know, natural foods, we don't, uh, process them more than we need to. We, you know, certainly don't spray them with pesticides. Um, and, uh, the, um, in fact, I, when I ended up leaving Connecticut, I came to San Francisco and immediately tied in with that, um, macrobiotic community. And, um, there was a, a couple that lived in San Francisco named the Ihera's and, uh, they, they just welcomed young people. And, you know, I used to go to their house all the time and um, Cornelia would teach us how to cook Japanese cuisine, uh, natural foods. And uh, Herman would teach us uh, Shinto Buddhist uh, um, uh, sutras and, uh, and dietary health and cosmology. And uh, it was a lovely thing. I have a huge debt of gratitude to the Iheras at that point you know, I was at that point almost, I think I was 18 or something, and uh, just a sponge for, for that kind of information. But um, so it was always, um, you know, my introduction to grocery was always based on, you know, the, you know, dietary health is, I, I believed and I still do that it was one of the Really important pieces missing from society, and um, that it was a way I could contribute. And here I, here I am. But then, but then you later. just
0: you just decided to join this little grocery. It was a very small grocery called Good Earth, with probably around six people during that time. And you just they didn't they were not uh, basically they didn't want to hire anyone. But you just offered to work there instead of getting some food. This
1: is yeah, and I you, exactly. you know, we lived in a teepee <laughs> on the hill, and and our our together with your brother, right? Much, so it, you
0: were it together kind of
1: worked. I was with my brother, uh, my older brother Hart, and uh, um, so it was you know we really felt like you know the business was more of a mission than it was you know we weren't there for the money at all, but we definitely wanted to do something in the food. System And, uh, you know, I actually didn't, this may sound off topic a little bit, but I, I never really believed in astrology before uh, until I sat down and I read my own ast- uh, uh, astrology chart and it basically said, no. I would be into food and health.
0: Unbelievable.
1: And, yeah. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. I have to do my astrology too. <laughs> I love it. It's yeah, easy. Yeah. You exactly. Can do it on a computer, I love it's it. Easy. <laughs> um, and then you started kind of a very important um, journey into into the food, actually. And you made together with the with the community, you made such a big change. And I was really surprised to um, I didn't know all these informations. Uh, and I I'm sorry for that um, related to the GMO topic for how many. Counties in the US are um, they have um, they are forbidden uh, GMO products and uh, Marin counties is one of seven counties they voted that uh, they don't accept the GMOs in uh, into the counties.
1: They're all in California. Well, no, actually one is in Oregon. It's it's we don't accept cultivation, GMO cultivation, but the
0: products can be so, sold into
1: that counties. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, that would be, uh, you know, in in the States, um, GMO agriculture is so prevalent. It's like you probably can't even walk in a regular grocery store and pick up any item without it having a substantial percentage of GMOs in there. Wow, You know, not at Good Earth, but organic is the way to to avoid that, Uh, one of the chief ways to avoid that. And, um, but it's so prevalent now. And, uh, and a- again, you know, to me the, I became, um, you know, it, I actually remember the, the time when it, I had a little bit of an aha moment was that it was, uh, 1985 and I read a newspaper article that said Monsanto company, which it was the chief ad, you know, advocate of, uh, GMOs, um, in that early year, they had shifted 100% of their R&D dollars away from pesticides and were investing them all in biotech, right? So at that early point, I think, you know, what it said to me is, oh, you know, those guys, you know, and and, th- and they were sort of like the big villain, right, for me as, uh, as I was learning about pesticides. Um, you know, their, their history was one of poisoning people. And, you know, there's even court documents that demonstrate that they were poisoning people, and they knew they were poisoning people, and they were covering it up, so that they could keep selling their poisons to people, right. So they were the real villain. And when I saw that they had, you know, basically, they were letting go of pesticides as, oh, the the public is not going to accept these much longer we're going to put all our you know emphasis uh in the future into biotech you know that was when i realized wow this is a you know this is a really huge phenomenon that we're dealing with and i at that point started to learn everything i could about uh genetically engineering in detail and there wasn't a whole lot of information at that point but um, but again it I believe it goes back to the very same thing. It's it's you know, it is absolutely that kind of thinking of forgetting the big picture. And when the more you learn about genetics, the more do you realize, and I've heard this from really high high-level geneticists, that the the genome is like the most complex and sophisticated, um, you know, it's almost like an ecosystem unto itself. So, um, you know, if you, if you change, well, one of the things that's quite well known in, by geneticists is that one gene in a plant or animal, uh, may well be involved in 50 different processes within that animal. And conversely, any process, you know, like, you know, I think I learned in school early on that, well, if you have blue eyes, that's because of one gene. And now they actually understand that, you know, blue eyes may really be about 50 different genes interacting. So there's a huge um, level of complexity. And as you understand that and really, you know, look at it, you I, I don't think you can help but be a little bit in awe of that. And, uh, you know, I was thinking this morning a little bit about um, wow. when Europeans first got to the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, one of the things that they did immediately was that they started killing all the uh, sea otters for fur and disappearing them. And what what's now happening is that uh, researchers are realizing that there's this whole concept in ecosystems called a key, keystone species. And in fact, the, the sea otters were a keystone species. And when you killed the sea otter, they stopped eating the uh, sea urchins, and the sea urchins then went wild. They ate all the kelp forest. The whole ecosystem collapsed and literally t- kind of turned into a desert. In, in the case of the sea otters, fortunately, they were reintroduced before the collapse was total. but. Um, to me, it sort of demonstrates, you know, how complex nature is. And to me, the idea of, you know, which is so common in this day and age, oh, we're, we're doing gene editing, we're going to go in, we're going to add this one gene to this plant and it's going to have miraculous results. It is just so, um, you know, I call it hubris or or arrogance, it's, it's they don't really You know, they haven't learned that and, you know, the damage that's going to come out of that, you know, we're we're probably going to, you know, if we really adopt all these technologies, which we seem to be doing at a furious rate, you know, and uh, it's not just in agriculture either a lot of, um, you know, if you read the latest about, uh, uh, you know, gene editing and uh, that whole world of uh, manipulating genetics, GMOs is uh, what we call them. They're, they're trying real hard to, re, to recall it gene editing, because I think that they realize that GMOs got a bad rap, but it, it's, it's all the same.
0: Which is so smart for that side, because editing somehow has kind of a positive way. But the yeah. reality is not. And I know that, uh, you know, it's crazy. Um, I follow um, um, the discussions about the Impossible Burger, I cannot not mention it. And um, I realize it's such a misinformation for the consumer because believe it or not, it's existing now in Europe and it's in Switzerland, um, mm-hmm. selling in the main important grocery places. And I actually even spoke with some people that they love it. And I was like, okay, do you know what is there? Yeah, it's right. plant-based. And, you right. know, like from, from there, the information is like, no, it's actually more than that. And there are some information that's it's See, un- I think
1: that was a real I think that was a real intentional move. You know, the biotech industry really was looking for a way in to the food system. and the the impossible burger is just the beginning. You know they're you know you talk to people, they're coming out with uh, genetically engineered dairy proteins uh, already on the market. They're, they're gonna have genetically engineered everything pretty quick. And uh, the, the real, you know, one of the real shames with that is that um, it, it undermines um, the food security worldwide. And um, a lot of people don't realize that, uh, you know, the, the dairy proteins and the meat proteins, I think is, uh, it's almost like their poster child. I think that You know, they purposely entered the market with those because they would find acceptance. But most of where the research is going is into what, what I call high value agricultural products. So, uh, and it makes sense that they would target, uh, you know, things like vanilla and, um, saffron, um, even coconut, uh, oil factions. Um, You know, one of the huge ones that they're working on is the genetically engineering of this uh, chemical that's in Artemisia annua, which is Artemisia annua is an herb that worldwide is the very best cure for malaria. And um, it's, you know, and it also happens to be that it supports hundreds of thousands of farmers worldwide, mostly in Indonesia and China that are growing this herb for the malaria medicine market, and uh, it all works. So, um, you know, the biotech industry, you know, why why would they target that item to when it's actually successfully supporting a bunch of farmers and creating good medicine, but they want to genetically engineer it so that they have control. And meanwhile, they're going to put hundreds of thousands of farmers out of business, um, you know, just to make this same chemical that the herb is doing quite well. Thank you very much. But so, um, you know, in a, at the core of that, you know, that, you know, I think it's money, right? It's, you know, and a lot of, lot of times it's the financial interests that, you know, we do things not because... They're smart for humanity, but we do them because somebody's going to make a bundle doing that. And, um, you know, to me, that's, well, to that, that speaks a little bit to why we need government, right? Because we should not let those muddied interests create society for us. That is really a destructive form of uh, society when, I, you know, I believe that, you know, if we just, you um, you know, put our intention to it. We could feed everybody on the planet organic food easily. Maybe we wouldn't build so many missiles in the process, but uh, we can do it. And it's just about political will to insist that our governments, you know, support that for us.
0: but in the same time, I believe that it starts to be even more and more the power of the end consumer. Because at the end of the day, if we all get the correct information and hopefully we all care of what we are eating and what our kids are eating and what will happen with uh, with uh, with our nature in, in time and try to really somehow share this to as many people as possible, I hope that um, this it's helping as well into that. And um, let's say for the end consumer, you just mentioned before that looking to the label organic in in Europe, it's bio, it's basically the, the label who will make sure that we are sure that it's not a genetic modified product. But there are so many other labels like local instead of organic. And I understand local for some counties that... They are, um, they've been voted that they cannot produce um, a genetic modified. it's okay. But when you see local to a county that's actually producing that, um, and I see that even in, in, uh, in Switzerland, I give a local example, uh, on the market, maybe 20% of them, they are organic and the rest, they are not. But they are local. Mm-hmm. What are we doing in this situation? How can, what is the approach? Well, I think we, we want it all,
1: right? Approach. To me, it's, we want local and organic, you know. And, we want uh, all, but
0: if we have to choose, because somehow, sometimes local is not necessarily organic, and I think it's an important information.
1: Yeah, but, you know, to me, that's sort of a, a false choice. You know, I think that we, you know, I, I um, you know, one of my friends is this guy, George Seaman, who was, uh, he was running uh, Organic Valley at the, Dairy Cooperative, and uh, uh, at one point he said he said to me, when we were having this exact conversation, he said, you know, wouldn't you think that we would feel even stronger about not poisoning our local farmers with pesticides than we do about farmers far flung around the world? You know, so to me it's, uh, you know, I just thought that was eloquently stated, you know, it's uh, organic works, we need to, we need to help our local organic farmers. And I've been very critical um, of our government in the United States, because we, um, we have all these programs for farmers, and most of them have been geared to, you know, ramming pesticides down the farmer's throats. And uh, very, very little of the funding by the government has gone into teaching organic systems to farmers, you know, the whole organic movement in the United States was really came about by uh, farmers just saying, no, I'm doing it. I don't care if you, you know, I I actually remember when I was uh, uh, early on introduced to farming that this guy at uh, USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, literally told me you, it is impossible to grow apples organically. You just cannot do it. That was, this was a government official, right? And uh, fortunately there were enough farmers that basically said, I don't care if they say it's impossible, we're gonna show them that it is. And uh, so a lot of the knowledge of organics was really one farmer sharing what worked to another farmer and the government was missing in action there. And still is to this day. So, um, you know, I I'm always an advocate. You know, you you do what you can personally to change a situation. But I think it frequently you that leads you to yeah. But you know, I may be able to eat organic 100% of the time, but there's a lot of people in the United States that can't afford to, or they don't have the resources. They don't have, and and the government should be you know, helping that to happen. And without the government being involved, I don't think we're ever going to make system-wide change. And um, so both are important.
0: OK, I um, I understand it and I appreciate your point of view. Let's go a little bit to more positive direction, because uh, I know it's a very sad topic. And as many information as I, I, um, I get regarding this topic, I'm like, why? Nobody sees it. I feel like somehow there are so many people that they don't see it. I was like, guys, we have to do something. But I want to ask you, are there any developments with the organic system that you are excited about?
1: Um, Well, in the the United States, organic has grown tremendously. And, uh, you know, we're now over $50 billion industry. And um, you know, back in those days when we were talking about when I lived in Tipi, it was I, I just wouldn't have even imagined that it would have gotten that kind of um, you know growth. And we're still a, a small part of the American food scene.
0: It's like five percent or maybe seven percent. Yeah, I've
1: heard different numbers, but some, somewhere in different that numbers.
0: What are what are your numbers? Because I believe in your numbers.
1: Yeah, I. The five percent is the higher. number that I I would five. probably say, but 5%. it depends on the commodity too. Like I think that uh, the the vegetable uh, production is about twenty percent. I think so. You know, uh, regular uh, fruits and vegetables are leading. That's amazing.
0: That. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and because uh, it makes sense, you know, if people if people appreciate it, but. I'm always, um, I'm always an optimist that we are going to learn, you know, I, I I do believe that a lot of the problems of humanity are really that we're actually a fairly primitive race at this point, you know, it wasn't, wasn't that long since we were, you know, literally living in the jungle (laughs) and, uh, uh, so, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, you, you mentioned global warming earlier from Bob's thing and, uh, Um, you know, obviously that may be the big test for us as a race you know, are we going to learn fast enough to pull it together? And, um, so, um, but a little bit of a, an aside too. one of the, the new things that we're learning about organic that to me is very exciting is that. Uh, You know, as I spoke earlier, you know, some of the early pioneers of organics were into building compost and you know, looking J.I. Rodale spoke about soil health and and how important that was and all it really is the foundation of organic agriculture is healthy soil. Um, And one of the things that more recent, in fact, it's really here in Marin County where it really sort of began with uh, my friend John Wick. was fascinated by looking at some of the early research about carbon being sequestered in soils. And he thought it was really interesting. And he he has a ranch uh, not so far from here where he literally, you know, he had like strings up and he had plots all over and he was applying different amounts of manures and compost onto the soil. And then he uh, hitched up with this uh, uh, some other folks involved in uh, UC Davis, and they they did some really careful analysis of applications to soils and what that meant to long-term carbon sequestration in the soils. And uh, I, I still remember seeing John at a blackboard, you know, you know, I guess it was maybe ten years ago, sort of sharing his numbers with a group of us of like, okay. This is how many, you know, how many pounds of carbon per acre this translates into. And at the bottom of the the equation, he's basically pointed out that if we applied a, a half an inch of compost to all ag land worldwide, that would create, well, it would draw down more carbon into soils than we had excess carbon in the atmosphere right now. So, meaning that that simple act of putting half an inch of compost, which organic farmers have been doing, uh, is perhaps the the single thing that we could do to turn around climate change quickly and easily. And so, you know, that's where, you know, I'm, you know, I want the United States Department of Agriculture to start teaching people how to make compost, you know, which sounds simplistic, but it it would fix so many things immediately, you know, and, uh, you know, instead of teaching people how to use pesticides, they should be not only teaching people how to do compost, but, you know, financing it, you know, we should be applying compost to our soils everywhere and it's doable.
0: It's double. Um, Speaking about education, I know that um, um, it's um, very important what you are doing even in in the community Good Earth. And um, I read an interview with you that you heard so many stories of so many people that they were part of uh, Good Earth uh, team that they were healing. Into the process of joining and understand how important is the quality of eating uh, organic food. Um, can you share us a little bit more about that, about the, this community and um, the stories that you you've, you saw around you?
1: Yeah, well, I you know I tell people I I, I really do believe all solutions are based in education. You know so. We, we've tried as Good Earth to, uh, as much as we could, both help our staff to learn about food issues and uh, also just help the community, whether it's, you know, it's been very diverse. You know, we brought in speakers and, you know, um, hosted movie showings. And, you know, to me, um, we've just done everything we could to, to, and we've learned ourselves as we've moved along too. So. Um,
0: you even yeah, deliver, if I'm not wrong, if you are even delivering more than one more million launches to the schools in the area?
1: Well, we, we were up until COVID. Until COVID. So unfortunately, yeah. um, you know, we we had to shut down that program. You know, we couldn't sustain it. and um, But, you know, I am hopeful that. You know, it was it a was great thing to do at that time. Um, I, I'm a real advocate for what we really need is our schools to go back to the way it used to be, which is that they should have lunch programs internal to the school, sell, you know, uh, provide organic food to kids, made on premises, help them learn how to cook, and uh, um, everything. So I think that's, that's really the long-term solution
0: which I know that it's, it's actually one project developed in California, um, that they are doing that. Um, but anyway, this is a, another Yeah, there topic. are people working there on it. There are people, yeah. they are working on it, and they could really prove together with hospitals that they were basically take like a year time of uh, when they started and mm-hmm. they were studying the health of the kids at uh, the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after one year, with changing into organic lunch, and it's a it's an impressive result. So they already. You know, can... To me, that's
1: one of the real exciting things when, exactly. when I see a little bit of research done about things like that, or organic agriculture, or um, or medicine as well. You know, I think one of the real problems with our society is that we have um, all our research is based on somebody being able to make some money out of it, uh, whether it's through a patent or uh, whatever. And the, the problem is, is, you know, a good example is herbalism. You know, it's like, if, if there is a herb, and, I, and there are herbs, uh, you know, one of my doctor friends was telling me that there's a, there's a combination of a B vitamin and celery juice that in clinical trials was more effective at the uh curing heart heart illness uh i can't remember the drug that it replaced but it was more effective but of course the the problem being um you know you can't patent celery juice and b vitamins so nobody ever hears about it. it you know the doctors aren't getting that information so to me, it's like we we absolutely and, you know, I'm sorry to be a, a squeaky wheel, but, you know, it goes back to the government. You know, I think the government should be doing that kind of research. And to me, one of the really sad things I, I feel like I'm witnessing day by day right now is the with the COVID thing is that everybody's talking about like, oh, you know, we need to, you know, the, the silver bullet to stop it. And, uh, you know, again, there's, there's very little talk about, um, the, the conditions that we're setting ourselves up, you know, if we're eating huge amounts of sugar as, as Americans and compromising our immune systems, you know, that's, it's, it's too simple of a conversation. We, we want a vaccine so that we can, you know, do whatever we want and not have to pay attention to our diet. And, but the, the opportunity that we're losing by not doing some research at this point of, okay, who's getting COVID? What is their diet? What is their diet? What is their lifestyle? What does that look like? I think we would just learn a huge amount, but nobody's doing that. Uh, you know, it's it almost has become, you know, talking about it becomes, you know, uh, not politically correct or something because, oh, wait a minute, you know, you're not endorsing the the modern medical, you know, image of a vaccine that's gonna fish us out of this problem. And, I, you know, and, and I'm not, uh, you know, there are viruses and, you know, that's real. So I'm not, you know, diminishing the fact that this is a, a, a virus that we should all be very careful of, but uh, it may be that the solution is absolutely in the other direction. And part of that is that, you know this is just one virus out of you know nature will throw many more at us, and it's uh, you know the hum- it's the human immune system that is going to defeat all of them, whereas the the, um, the vaccine may eliminate one of them right so it's a it's a big conversation It's
0: such a big conversation, and like you said, it's not enough information to really somehow see the other side of it um i have so many curiosities and i try to really go move on to some other topics as we have part of our followers are even entrepreneurs and i'm very curious to let me know and to share a little bit more about the values that you've been created at good earth because it's clear that everyone that you meet there from the kitchen area to the cashiery to everywhere it's a common value and you just love these people you want to take all of them at home can you share a little bit more about the values and how could you create this beautiful community in such a long time we speak about 50 years 51 years now
1: yeah well you know thank you for that um you know i I think we've we've just tried real hard to, you know, respect our employees over the years and and all learn about, you know, how to communicate effectively with folks. Uh, You know, I think, you know, nonviolent communication is uh, a lovely tool for businesses as well as interpersonal uh, of all things. Uh, We've... um, We've appreciated uh, a, some mentoring from uh, um, uh, this uh, gentleman named Ari Zingerman, who uh, has a, a, a number of businesses in uh, Michigan, and uh, he has a bunch of books on uh, management and uh, that are all lovely. Can you um,
0: share with us maybe by email and I will make sure to share it on uh, on our podcast some of your favorite books that you would like to to share with our listeners? Because I am so curious. I mean, I'm sure you have so many books to recommend. Is it possible?
1: Uh, sure, sure. I, I don't want to, do to give that. you
0: too much homework, but I yeah. would love if we can share with the community related yeah. to the topic that we are speaking about as well on the management. Yeah,
1: and I, I do think that... Um, you know, most, uh, we, we call ourselves good earthlings, uh, mo- <laughs> most good earthlings, I think are connected with our overall mission, which we, is all the stuff we've talked about. You know, I think, uh, you know, we're all trying to change the food system in as much as we can in our world. And, uh, you know, I think it, I, I, I actually tell, um, uh, you know, my fellow good earthlings that, You know, if if I was just a grocer and all I was doing was, you know, selling food to people, I would get bored and leave immediately. You know, to me, it's the it's the fact that we feel like we're making a difference in this arena that really makes me excited and gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, So that's probably part of what you feel when you walk in a uh, in a good earth.
0: I, I don't want to leave it. I, I, I ask so many times, my husband, it's a little bit stressed over this topic. I ask him if I cannot even sleep there because I love it. I love the community. <laughs> I love the food. I love I love uh, everything that is around. I just don't want to leave. So mm-hmm. uh, congratulations. It's really impressive. I'm moving uh, a little bit to um, another topic. Um, and it's about the parenthood. You have a daughter and she's going in a quite similar path, I would say. Um, she. Can you tell us a little bit more how, how did you teach your kids to continue uh, the values that, um, that you, you have now? And what you would recommend maybe to a, a, pa- a parent who has a kid? Mm-hmm. How? Because at the end, this is the future. And it's such a big responsibility uh, for us as a parent.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I think as a parent, you know, I've just tried to, to share with, um, you know, everybody, including my kids, the, the, why I do what I do. And, um, you know, I think some of it rubs off. I, I think that parents make a mistake by trying to, you know, force things down their kids throats or whatever. And so I'm not, you know, I, I think that all you can do is share and, you know, hope that they do well and absorb some of that. Um, but um, it's, it's complicated. It's cool. <laughs> Right. I'm, I'm a grandparent now, and I got to be Congratulations,
0: admit, I saw it. Yeah, I'm,
1: there's part of me that's kind of grateful not to be in those trenches anymore, <laughs> so much.
0: And maybe it's hard work, maybe they are appreciated. it's
1: definitely hard work. It's a hard work. I remember my kids uh, getting furious at me because I was sending them to school with brown bread instead of white bread. And, <laughs> you know, uh, but, you know, actually it was my, I think my son, Actually, he had turned into an adult. He may have even been a parent himself at that point. But he said to me one day, you know, I'm really glad that you made me eat my kale when I was a kid because now I love it. And uh, (laughs) uh, so sometimes you have to wait for the the benefits to come through.
0: (laughs) At least you could make a change, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I think my kids... You know, I'm a believer that... Um,
0: so how many kids do you have, Mark?
1: I have two kids. Two kids, a daughter two, and a son. And two grandchildren and okay. one one more on the way.
0: Wow. And,
1: uh, but I really do believe that one of the, the chief jobs of a parent is to give their kids a really foundational health. And, uh, you know, that's a lot about diet. And I, I don't even... I think it it begins pre pre-birth, you know, even, you know, there's a lot of data that shows that, you know, the the foods that a woman is eating while she's pregnant and certainly the foods that uh, a baby is eating early on are um, really fundamental to, in other words, it's almost like if you get it right, then you can actually do a lot of, you know, later in life, you can do a lot of abuse of yourself and get away with it. But if you don't do it right, at the beginning, you're constantly trying to catch up with your health. Um, in fact, I think that's one of the you know, a lot of times people kind of go, well, oh, if, if uh, you know, if organic food is so great, why aren't all the people that eat organic healthy? In fact, sometimes, you know, having dealt with many, many of uh, my customers over the years, you sometimes what you see is that the sick, you know, the real sick people are the people that are eating organic. And the reason for that is that they, they know they can't get away with, with eating crap anymore because their health immediately suffers. But unfortunately that's, you know, because of their childhood, you know, uh, constitution is what we used to call it. Um, but, uh, so I think that is really, you know, a very important part of being a parent is, and sometimes that is, You know, it it means you do need to say, no, I'm not going to feed my kid a lot of sugar. I don't care if it's, you know, other parents think that that's cruel or, or bad or whatever. You know, I, um, it's that important. It's, it's, it's difficult, I think, because society is so lost with nutrition, you know, and the norm out there is horrendous, um, and, but like, as you said earlier, you know, look, look how many of us have diabetes when we're older, it's, it's, it's deplorable. So, um, it's all connected.
0: Yeah. I'm very curious if let's say, how do you see the future? Let's say in 2050, where we will be in 2050 in your ideally direction somehow, how, how do you see that?
1: you mean optimistic <laughs> a, let's I, go to the
0: optimistic part because yeah, already okay. the, we can see a little bit the the other side yeah. i don't want to go there we already go, went a little bit yeah
1: yeah yeah cuz i i do got to admit i i could almost flip a coin and say well it could go either way but uh, it, you know when i'm optimistic i i really do uh, believe you know organic plays a big part of that i think we can um, you know the education around organic issues is is Going very fast. And, um, you know, I think that connected with that, and I'm, I, you know, I apologize if I keep going to the political, but, you know, getting money out of the decision making is a huge part of that. So we need to absolutely insist that corporations, uh, you know, give us what we want, you know, organic systems, you know, truly healthful systems. You know, we don't want to you know, uh, drugs to fish us out of the problems. We want solutions that are real and long, uh, long. So I, I'm optimistic that we can actually turn it around, uh, both for our health and the environment and, um, you know, even worldwide. And like I said before, I think, you know, a lot of the reason that I have become a real organic advocate is that I think organic plays a really fundamental part in all of those different systems
0: okay I, I, I hope we still have chances to change that I really hope so I really hope you, you are right and I hope we can change that my last question even though I would love to to, to, to have, I mean I have so many so many questions more but um, I will really try to take a, to, to take into consideration your precious time if you are going back in time to the little Mark, what will be one advice that you will tell to yourself? Let's say back of ten years old, mm-hmm. taking the consideration what you know now, what will be one advice that you will tell to yourself?
1: Yeah, I think it. I think it would have to be to really trust my trust my feelings. Um, you know, I think I spent. I think I spent the first. You know almost half of my life learning to know I actually kind of do know what I'm talking about here because (laughs) all society is saying, no, 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 you know, that's not, no, that's not true or whatever. And um, so that I'd say that that was a big one for me.
0: I love it. Thank you so much, Mark, for this amazing time and uh, information that you share with us.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure. And thank you for, sharing uh you know holistic thoughts in the world i I know that that's a lot of what you do
0: oh wow what a conversation thank you so much mark for all the inspiring information and for everything that you are doing in this world i really wish you all the best for all the projects and i'm really looking forward to our green tea conversation for episode two in my favorite place good earth where we can speak more about the opening topics that we still couldn't cover in this episode.